0: Welcome to CarePod, a safe place to educate, inspire, and renew the caregiver. Listen in with our host, Dr. Kibley Bell, as she interviews different experts along the caregiving journey. So I'm excited today. It's nice to chat with a colleague who is passionate about medicine. Who knew, right? Who has still a heart for caregiving, who's passionate about people. So I would like to introduce you all to Dr. Dubose of OLERA Care dot care. I- you
1: got
0: it. care. Okay, excuse me. Okay, so we're gonna just kind of go through your why Dr. DuBose first, you know, it's cool now because there are those of us who are, you know, have entered the entrepreneurial space or the healthpreneurial space of medicine. But, you know, for me, you know, the humility, the, the root of it all is still at bedside and what kind of guides us and makes us credible right in this space. So it's just so nice to, again, have you speak with a colleague and hear your why. So just tell us about yourself, your journey in medicine, et cetera.
1: Thank you, doctor. Absolutely. Um, So again, my name is Logan Dubose. I just completed my first year of internal medicine residency in Washington, DC at a university um, called George Washington University. And so I'm from Texas originally, uh, where I went to A&M uh, for medical school. That's Texas A&M, the Aggies. If you if you're familiar with these individuals, they're a great bunch. Um, and I really enjoyed my training. I moved to D.C. Um, and saw a different world. Um, I was in the, uh, more of a downtown city environment, a bigger place. Um, and so tying this into what we're doing with Olara Doc Care, what I saw in the hospital uh, was was scary. It was scary. Um, it's, it was a lot. Patients um, often are under resourced outside of the hospital, which leads to a vicious cycle of being in the hospital. And so, part of what we're doing is part of our mission is how can we provide outpatient long-term care infrastructure? How can we support that? So maybe I'm not so scared in the hospital. Maybe the vicious cycle. Can be addressed um, the vicious cycle of readmissions of patients who come to the hospital and um, are discharged from the hospital but then come right back because maybe they're not getting the support from infrastructure on the outside and that's something that I'm want to devote my career to um, how can we treat patients in the hospital and how can we think about what we can do with patients outside of the hospital better than than what I what I what I've seen so far um, and that's that's where I'm at dr um, and I'd love to talk more about it
0: yeah, I, th- I mean, that's huge in terms of, you know, it's funny when you say you just saw a different world. it it brings me to mind sort of that culture shock of medicine, right? Like I remember my first patient in practice and getting this knock on the door that i I had already spent fifteen minutes. and it was really eye-opening that I've had to master the 15 minutes. I've had to master how to be fully present, how to integrate EMR, how to be personally engaged, interactive, compassionate, empathetic, all the things, right, that either you are naturally or you learn to be (laughs) in the time slot that insurance allows. So I love this kind of concept of it's essentially an aging in place, which, you know, how do we allow people to thrive when they're faced with illness and get back to baseline and the quality of life that they desire? Is that, am I, am I capturing it?
1: Absolutely, and further from there, related to the mission of this podcast, I believe that caregivers, um, these are families, members and friends taking care of one another, Americans joining together, that is right now the backbone, in my opinion, of that, of the outpatient infrastructure. And so I've become obsessed with supporting caregivers as a first line. Um, How do we, and that's professional caregivers as well, in addition to family, formal caregivers, how do we bolster and support this infrastructure so that we can Make some gains, make some some moves, move the needle on some of the vicious cycle that we see in the hospital readmissions. Um, so I'd love to talk a little bit about that too, if that's that's a bit. Yeah,
0: yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Continue.
1: Sure. So a statistic that I think is very striking is the amount of care that home care agencies, for example, turn away due to lack of staff. Um, When we started Olera.care, the website was designed with funding from the National Institute on Aging to connect families to home care agencies, assisted living, independent, financial, legal support, and professionals. What we found very quickly is the website successfully does that. It connects families to home care agencies, for example. But when we talk to the home care agencies, sometimes they have to turn away business, turn away clients, turn away help because they were not staffed it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And so now we we have two, two groups that we're trying to help. Like we started with the families connect with the resources when they leave the hospital, when they're trying to not go back to the hospital that they need um, to make sure their basic needs are met at home. But we also have to address the professionals that are supplying this care on the outpatient. And so we've got some cool things we're working on um, with that. That I can talk about as well, but that's that's our that's our goal. We're looking at how can we connect people to resources and how can we bolster those resources by attacking the staffing. I, I it's a true staffing crisis all across healthcare
0: and a mindset crisis. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned professional caregiving because when I teach, when I lecture for Impactful Caregiving, I actually challenge our own clinical body to say. How many of you are caregivers, right? It should be 100% of the audience, but somehow we've shifted, somehow we lost it from the time we signed up, the first day we said, we want to apply to medical school, or we want to be a nurse, or we want to be whatever we want to be in the healthcare space, somewhere along the continuum of systems of life challenges of being understaffed overworked all of the things we lost the concept that we are caregivers whether albeit professionally or personally or both and nine times out of ten the trends of this country are are going towards the fact that we're going to be taking care of our own families while or aging loved ones while we're caregiving professionally so, yeah, something has to, to to rewrite that narrative. So I'm so happy to hear that Alara is on that frontier as well.
1: I think when we think about what a caregiver is, um, it's a son or a daughter or a spouse who is advocating and going that extra mile. Um, a lot of times individuals aren't aware of, for example, aid programs um, on the local, state or federal level. They aren't aware. They aren't able to access it because of difficulty signing up. Um, literacy levels and tech and technical savvy is strikingly low in the, in America. Um, for example, close to close to half of uh, Americans have trouble reading on a website. For example, how to find a, a frequently asked question or a contact support number. And when you look at some of these aid programs, you can take you know the Supplemental Nutrition Program for example. Um, it can provide $100, 200 dollars in food to the elderly. Um, Six billion of that is left on the table because of lack of awareness or ability to apply. And so, a caregiver is somebody who is an advocate who might, if if this was your parent or spouse, you would you would help them do those applications, find those those things. And and this this is not out of the realm of a physician um, to do. In fact, a field called social work um helps a lot with this and i'm inspired by social workers and what i've seen the social workers do and we want to capture and scale some of that value that social workers bring to connect individual well really it's it's assess the needs identify the resources maintenance the ongoing support from those resources um so caregivers i, I agree we're all we're, we all it should be hundred percent of us raise our hands um we're all advocates for our patients for our family members um, and we want to streamline that and make that as easy as possible as a first step, you know, trying to address some of the things we see in the hospital over and over again.
0: Absolutely. So let me, let me reel back a little bit. What, what's your why? What made you go into medicine? What drives you in this climate, et cetera?
1: Uh, from a, from a real philosophical level, I believe service is one of the most rewarding things. And I think anyone in healthcare could probably relate at some point reason the why they do this is the is the rewards personally, professionally, um, that you feel when you when you when you put your time, knowledge, skills and talents and and natural joy, which for me is learning and, and applying that to something helpful. Um, when you apply all of that, you know, it's a very rewarding experience. Um, so that's what's not only gotten me into it, but continue to maintain my passion through the hard hours that, that of course, you remember and still go through it. And, you know, people will say, Oh, it gets better when you graduate residency. The time. <laughs>
0: no. I don't know if I
1: necessarily believe that.
0: In, in different ways, in, in ways that you can control, <laughs> you can right. control the amount of fatigue that you,
1: <laughs> you've got, you got it, but it's still hard work. It, and, and, and Absolutely. And, you can't go into the healthcare field without that service personality, um, because it's just, it's it's hard work. Um, it's rewarding work. But if you don't have that reward, intrinsic reward from service, that's why I've got into it. Um, if I have to kind of philosophically describe it, but that's, that's, that's where I'm coming from. I'd love to hear your yeah. story too, if, if you wouldn't mind sharing.
0: Absolutely. So it's really a full circle moment for me. I'm actually in the process of writing a book called The Work of My Mother's Hands. Hmm. Uh, My mom is 87 years old, and I am caregiving for her now. And she's a retired registered nurse. So as a single mom, she did homebound elderly care. Uh, you know, as I was a child. So after school, I'd go with her to uh, different elders' homes. And one elder in particular that she was with decades of his life till he passed was a gentleman named Albert da Costa. Mm. So Albert was 97 when he passed and he had dementia, but he stowed away on a boat from Italy when he was nine. And all he knew to 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 America, and all he knew how to do was to uh, write his name and literally build a whole brand called DeCosta Olives. And my mother was his nurse. Wow. And. You know, in hindsight, I've I, they have been on that whole family, that whole experience as a child has been on my heart through this entrepreneurial journey. Because when I think about impactful caregiving, those were very early lessons that I learned through watching my mother care for him, watch her navigate family dynamics, questions you know, confrontation, difficult times, all of it. And then full circle, I don't know if you know much of my story, but uh, I did my first leg of medicine as a physician assistant. And then I went back to medical school. Yes. And so um, as a PA, I walk into a room on rotation and it's Mrs. Costa, wow! And I was able to take care of her. Uh, During that time, she ultimately succumbed to colon cancer. But yeah, so, you know, been volunteering with the elderly, been, you know, always had, uh, you know, had my master's in gerontology, always had a a heavy liking to internal medicine, did my rheumatology, did rheumatology uh, with uh, my first attending Dr. Katz that I spoke of offline with you. And so now it's all, you know, emergency medicine as a PA, rheumatology, geriatrics, IM. So it's like all my nerdy, like, excitement.
1: Love that. <laughs> love that. I love when that. I
0: teach and, and uh, take care of patients. Yeah. So it's cool. This episode is sponsored by Alera.care. The company's primary focus is to create innovative products and services that cater to the evolving needs of the aging population. Alera.care. Are you a geriatric care professional that is in need of continuing education credit? Check out our online geriatric certification courses. They are accredited by Evergreen Certification. Visit us at impactfulcaregiving.com. And uh, take care of patients. Yeah. So it's cool.
1: I think we're, cool. we're we're similar in the fact that we both, um, maybe you enjoy internal medicine and all these fields that you've explored because of this this broad scope that I also enjoy, which is one of the reasons why I picked internal medicine over some of the other specialties that, that is the broad scope and, and the hospitalist function is something that that I, I plan on that. That's what I'm not planning to go to fellowship, which is um, for those listening that, that aren't aware, that's the next stage in order to specialize to be a cardiologist or a rheumatologist, for example. Um, I mm-hmm. plan to stay as an internal medicine doctor because I believe that the hospitalist role is meaningful to me because of this, that the, their role is treat the patient in the acute setting. What is the safe discharge plan? And being the hospitalist, that's part of your your job is to to assure that the patient leaves the hospital with good support on the outside. Part of your job, you know, it should be um, to me. It's a very important part of the job, the most to me in a lot of ways. And so that is um, kind of my background and why I chose internal medicine. I wanted to ask you because I also had some caregiving experience um, before medical school. Um, it wasn't as early as as your story, but it was. Right in undergrad, I spent some time um, as an EMT, but that was more, I I worked in in an emergency room. So it was a little different than riding around on the ambulances and trucks. I was an assistant to the nurses. And so you could call me kind of like the caregiver in a sense, um, you know, I, I was not doing direct medical care, but I was doing what right now professional caregivers bread and butter is, which is transferring the patient. Spending time with the patient. Sometimes you spend lots of times. If they're unsafe, you need to sit with the patient for long periods of time. Be the eyes and ears for the nursing staff and the and the doctor. Um, Be the advocate for the patient. You end up spending the most time with the patient.
0: Absolutely, more than than we do at times. Yeah.
1: I was wondering what your experience and how I've drawn on that experience, and I I could say it's just as impactful as anything I learned in medical school or my rotations. Was that experience being a caregiver? in a professional setting um i'm wondering if you often look back to your caregiving experiences as a practicing physician so many years later in such a different context and how that affects your your practice yes
0: yeah, so it's it's ongoing now like i'm caregiving even as we speak so it speaks to being authentic mm. you know it speaks to the nonverbal communication in which you assess a patient mm. so years ago, I remember a professor teaching us that, you know, when you enter the physician patient space, you're there at bedside, you know, how their affect is, is how it is. If they're down and depressed, you start to feel down and depressed. If they're very euphoric and happy, you start to kind of take on that personality in the room and being mindful of, okay, is this patient fully groomed and quaffed? And they're saying, oh, doctor, I've been such pain, but yet they are non appearing. you know, they're fully put together. So looking for the nonverbal ways in which uh, patients tell their stories as well. So how caregiving has driven me even now is really allowing that elder to have a voice, you know? And I even hold myself accountable even now. If I take my mother to an appointment, I hold my tongue and try to allow her to speak to her own circumstance, tell her HPI, speak about her symptoms, her current quality of life, et cetera, as best as she can. Um, But I think if I had to say one change or one area of practice that has been strengthened through my caregiver experience. It's absolutely that uh, my mother and whomever you're advocating for in, in the caregiver space, they still have a voice. And I think where the burden and the stress and the overwhelm comes is the daily loss of what you knew the person to be. And so, Essentially, that's where my book is coming from with the work of her hands. Because, like it back in May, I lectured in Hawaii, and here I am in front of this large crowd. And I was telling my Albert DaCosta story, and I'm telling it how nine I'm looking at this man hack the olives in, in midair, you know, because that's what he knew in his dementia head space, but how. Wow, those early experiences of oh, my mother, I'm still carrying out her legacy even today. Yeah. So, really, uh, that has what's guided me. I feel like I've always had a heart for people. I have compassion, the things that I haven't had to learn, mm-hmm. but I have had to learn to fall back, let the patient speak, let them have their voice, even if it takes them 10 minutes to utter one word. You know they're still there so yeah
1: thank you for sharing that that's i'll take that with me as well um the emphasis of the voice of the patient i think caregiving on the level of spending that extra time with the patient physicians and nurses don't have that's either in the input as a family member as a professional caregiver coming to the home um, as a caregiver in the hospital spending that extra time teaches that appreciation for the person that sometimes gets missed in the hustle and bustle of treating patients um, and I, I can second that my experience as a, as a caregiver prior to being a provider has given me an appreciation as well for the voice of the patient. Another thing that I'll, I'll say that I've been recommending to all medical students I speak to to consider or pre-medical students, especially to consider these caregiving roles, especially in the setting of the this crisis that we're in with understaffing um, to consider these roles because it teaches you. When you're a physician someday, or you're a PA someday, or a nurse practitioner, caregivers are your eyes and ears, and they are often should be, and absolutely should be at the table, the loudest voice. I, I I learned about six to eight months into residency that the loudest voice at the table should be the person who spent the most time with the patient and cares about the patient because of that time, and caregivers do that, and so I I I'm I'm dedicated to getting as many pre medical students and to kind of have that experience that we had prior to getting in, because that perspective um, makes all the difference when you're at the head of the table as the provider making decisions, you have the ability or don't have to invite the caregiver to come sit at the table as well. You don't have to do that. but you Absolutely.
0: Should. Absolutely. And so curious, a curious point. Were Is that something you were Uh, taught? Did you learn this in your training in terms of, like, in my training, I can't say I recall caregivers being included. Like, I knew as the student or as the intern, you know, to pay attention to those cues while the attending and whomever was doing their thing. I paid attention to the room. But I don't recall being taught to do so ha- has uh, have our teaching and standards changed in in, in any way to uh, understand caregiver roles?
1: Doctor, I think that's what that, that's up to us yeah I, yeah yeah Unfortunately, it hasn't um I, I despise this term um, unskilled caregivers is is mm. a common jargon um mm. and might tell you enough right there about the current culture and the respect. Um, that's lacking for these individuals that are, again, professional, um, professional caregivers are called unskilled caregivers in the medical, in the medical field.
0: Um, That is, that's,
1: that's really, I despise that. That's
0: profound. Yeah. Right. Wow. You know, I never thought about that till you just said it. Amazing. So true for decades, for decades, unskilled. You're absolutely right. How about it? And how refreshing is this? Because you know what else pains me? To hear patients say, doctors don't care. My doctor didn't listen to me. I just had a client that I took on yesterday. Mm -hmm. Caregiver brought her grandmother and you know, she literally said that the clinician told the grandmother that, you know, she's old, she's in pain, there's really nothing can be done for her and gave her, she showed me the prescription bottle, M-A-P-A-P. I said, this is Tylenol. And she says, well, she's taking an additional Tylenol. She said, she said, take this and then take an additional Tylenol for your pain. You know, And so many areas between the lines that we can go into there. But it it really pains me to hear, like in every, you know, I tell people all the time, in every sector, there will be good and bad apples, right? Right. Um, But it really pains me by and large that you hear so many caregivers speak to the medical profession, staff, climate as uncaring, dismissive, apathetic, the like. Uh, What are... How do you hope to be a, a game changer in that?
1: I'm, and with Olera.care, Doc um, Care, what we try to do is be a problem first, solution second type approach. Mm. To, okay. So we look for if you're familiar with um, quality improvement, as as I'm sure you've been trained in your time, quality improvement research, the Swiss cheese model. What is the root cause um, that if we corrected that, maybe there'd be downstream effects. So we look for those root causes, and I think. You know the question of how how I'd like to help this. I think one of the root causes we've talked about already is the the, the 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 staffing crisis. We have a staffing crisis across the board. um and then we have an access problem, an access problem for so that so so there's two sides. There's the patients that have trouble accessing um any providers that do exist that are staffed. Um, that's hard to do. Um, and there's a multitude of reasons we can get into on why access to to care on the outpatient is difficult for many. For example, transport, affordability; um, those are some of the biggest ones. Is and literacy levels, difficulty navigating the system because difficulty reading and navigating the internet um, a lot of times. Um, so those are some of the access issues. And then there's the staffing issue. And I I truly believe if doctors had 10 minutes or had 30 minutes instead of 15 mm-hmm. um, they would self-correct and we might have less patients saying what you you said um you're hearing which my doctor doesn't listen my doctor doesn't care um well the doctors do care and they do listen and the nurses care and they listen and all the allied health professions that we we often don't get rep- we don't represent as much physical uh PAs, nurse practitioners, respiratory therapist occupational the list goes on they care they really do they wouldn't be here unless they had that service mentality but we don't have the time that we need and I I truly believe that that's a sta- staffing could be one of the root causes of that. Um, and so that's that's what our group is obsessed with. We're obsessed with root causes, access um, the website right now attempts and we're you know we're not happy with where we want it to be even better. But it attempts to help families find resources and provide clear language on what they are um, in their local area. And we're hoping to build out clear language on what the local, state, and federal programs or even volunteer groups, community-based programs that often are underlooked on the Internet or underrepresented on the Internet. How do we help people access that with clear language? But it doesn't stop there because of the literacy problem that we still have um in the states it's 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 hard for individuals even if you have the best website with the best information it's hard for individuals to to turn that into action so we have some ideas on on the access problem that we want to build on top of an information delivery system such as working with social workers for tele-interventions that I believe would be a huge scalable what if we were calling everybody over 65 once a month once every two weeks checking in on access issues barriers and licensed trained professionals helping them break down those barriers by doing the applications for them or helping them understand the insurance policy, connect with a financial provider to address the affordability or a financial advisor.
0: So the, needed. So needed.
1: On the staffing so side, too. Um on the staffing side as well. One thing that we're we just um on Monday have started a pilot with one of the largest home care agencies called Senior Helpers is their name. You might have heard of them. They have 300 yeah. locations across the country. Um, we're, we're going to try and connect pre-health students to get that rich experience that we've talked about so far to inspire them, but also to provide a relief for the staffing problem. 510 hours, for example, per home care agency in the States are turned away. That many hours of work shifts. Wow. Cannot staff 510 hours. Um, they're, they Individuals are are sending clients to competitors' home care agencies because they can't staff the business. Um, so we're hoping that we can attack these two root causes, you know, the access and the staffing, and start to move the needle. And I hope when I'm an attending someday, we can walk through the hospital and see maybe instead of five or ten patients being there for preventable causes, uh, maybe we'll see a little less. And that's what we're trying uh, to do.
0: Absolutely, good for you. Good for you. So. Tell us specifically, uh tell the CarePod audience how a family, a caregiver can connect with Alara Care, how uh you know what the process looks like, what states, you know, what remote offerings, etc.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh so olara.care is a website available in any browser, which is what you use to um, get onto the internet and search for things Google is is a very common browser if you were to log on to Google um you'd be able to type in olera.care. I'll be sure to provide you a link after this as well um, and that website will take you to our resource databank. Um, it's a resource directory you can think of um a Rolodex you could think of, of 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 individuals and services and even some medical products that, We've found through speaking with families, through showing the website to families um, over time in an iterative process that are that are in high demand and helpful to individuals. So when you log on, you'll have the opportunity to type in your city and see those services that would be in your area. Now, we, we wanted to take this a little farther because of what I've spoken about, um, sometimes it's overwhelming the amount of information online um, and reading all of that can be overwhelming and sifting through 50 different home care providers in Houston, Texas, for example, can be overwhelming. So we're trying to do a little bit of that groundwork for you. We are trying to establish these partnerships with vetted um, high quality agencies because the variation in quality is, is, there's a big variation in quality of different home care agencies.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah.
1: And so you can log on to the website and you can answer some questions as well. And that will be about what exactly you're looking for, um, what your resources for financing care are, um, insurance you have. And though we're not at a point where we can tell you, log on and we'll secure the care for you right now, we can tell you that we can secure quality information in our service areas. And you ask which, right now, Houston, Texas, and College Station. Texas are where we've mapped what we call the elder care ecosystem. This is all of the services, providers, um, experiences that that caregivers find themselves navigating. Um, we've mapped that in Houston and College Station, but the intentions are to go national, and we're starting slowly to build and that infrastructure of of mapping the the key players that you in your caregiver journey might experience. Um, and I can talk a little bit about that, but that's what you would experience on the website. You would find resources, learning materials personalized to your experience, attempted to be communicated in simple language, um, that's that's action-based um, in one place. And so that's that's our resource directory right now. And we have some other things that we're building on top um, with some recent funding that we applied for with the National Institute on Aging. The whole project is funded by the National Institute on Aging. Three years ago, we received a grant for, for this priority of a personalized, web-based care planning tool, um, the service beautiful,
0: ready. Beautiful,
1: beautiful. So well, I'm sorry? I'll send you those links after this.
0: Oh, yes, yes. So uh, during this episode, I'll call it Sponsored by Care. We will include all of the logos, the links, etc. cetera. Uh, we're going to YouTube um, in November for National Caregivers Month. And uh, our podcast audience also will have um, the links on everywhere you get a podcast. So it it will be definitely a good resource for our CarePod audience. So I'm just really thankful um, to again, be able to speak with like-minded colleagues in this space. And I wish you all good things in your career. It's very fruitful, challenging rewarding um, self-reflection, really. It, it is, I wouldn't have it any other way. I've been blessed to be in medicine for 22 years and I'm still a, a little, uh, still a pup in some some climates, but I'm um, like my, Dr. Katz tells me, you know, you wanna fall on your face a few times. You want to be still able to embrace new frontiers, new technology. You know, but also carve your own path. So I pass that that pearl on to you as well.
1: Thank you. And it's so, been a yes. pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much.
1: Great information, right
0: from the source. For more information on how to care give like a boss, check out impactful Want to be a guest on the show? Contact us at carepod at impactfulcaregiving.com.